Maybe Morgan dressed like Wolverine Maybe Dave ate his way out of trouble Maybe Tuscan's diorama came in last Maybe Morgan tunneled out of jail Maybe Dustin ran for council member Maybe Dave found himself horribly miscast Find out what happened Yes, find out what happened Since when last we left our Welcome to When Last We Left Our Podcast, a bi-weekly storytelling podcast hosted by me, Morgan Pielli. Me, Dave War. And me, Destiny Adetta. And featuring our special guest today... Lori Baird. Yay! Each week... Yay! Um, each week we tell true life stories inspired by events that happened to us since the last time we recorded this podcast. When last we left our podcast, Morgan went to a movie. Dave met an old friend, and Dustin dealt with Times Square. This week... Dave considers the life cycle of the urban pigeon. Dustin plays Madison Square Garden. Morgan has a small, tiny, minor, complete breakdown. And Lori thinks her ex-husband is dying before her eyes. I, I know I always mention it, mention it. Yeah, yeah. But can we change the theme song to say maybe Dustin's diorama came in first? <laughs> that wouldn't rhyme. Can, can, I, we, can, can we, we change it to Dustin's diarrhea came in first? No. <laughs> Are there <laughs> diarrhea words? There anyway. are. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Go, Dave. <laughs> Go now. <laughs> For all that is holy. <laughs> um, wow. <laughs> Great start. <laughs> no um, pressure. You just have to best that. Uh, Win them back. <laughs> I'll do my best. Hi, everybody. I'm Dave. I'm going to tell you a story about something that happened since the last time we recorded this podcast. That's um, called filler. <laughs> I filled, yes. Um, so uh, the building I live in um, has a lot that's going for it, um, is, as long as you don't consider the building I live in. Um, and what I mean by that is it's in the greatest city in the world, in a great neighborhood in that city, uh, and it's a half block from the subway. Aside from those facts, however, it's kind of just a shitty building in Queens that's poorly maintained um, and that you pay too much rent on, if you're me. Um, uh, and there are a couple of uh, foibles it has that uh, kind of tip the balance from uh, just a standard shitty building to I don't know why I still live there, <laughs> um, except that moving is more of a headache and more expensive. Um uh, as, for example, uh, the facades and common areas and basically anything that the building would maintain, like the electrics or the plumbing, are, are completely crumbling. Uh, so um, uh, we have uh, fuses that screw in, which um, I'm 37 years old, and I had never seen those before, um, and I've lived in buildings way older than me for a long time we um uh if you turn on the 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 water in our kitchen on cold it comes out hot for a minute and a half <laughs> so my my usual way of doing the dishes is to wait until i need a glass of water <laughs> then turn on the cold do the dishes and by the time they're done, it's cold. I assume that if there's a, if you need to make a phone call off a landline in your apartment, that there's a lady in the basement who will connect you. <laughs> oh, to- I'd love to make a landline call from my apartment, but when they quote unquote renovated, they buried the jacks. <laughs> so you can't. And when we called them when we first moved in, we're like, there are no phone jacks. They said, we will absolutely under no circumstances do the work to find them for you. <laughs> That's a quote. Um, wow. Why, are you, why do you want a phone? <laughs> <laughs> Who wants one of those? I have to ask, what was your response to that okay. sentence? Okay, good to know. <laughs> uh, um, for, for the record, uh, if you do Time Warner, they will give you a phone to sort of through, through the internet. Yeah, yeah, we are on Time Warner, but I also have a cell phone, and it's... 2015 or whatever year it is. And it doesn't make the joke work that I started out with. Yeah. I'm totally distracted anyway. Um, so, anywho... No, they buried um, Mabel. Encased <laughs> <laughs> her in concrete. <laughs> so, uh... You can still hear her. <laughs> <laughs> One of 
the uh, other charming things about the building is that it's absolutely covered in pigeons. Um, uh, because it's got, like, a, a narrow entryway that's sort of a courtyard, and there are, on either side, um, fire escapes up the side of the building. And for a pigeon, apparently that's, like, pigeon gold, <laughs> because it's uh, fairly enclosed, you're away from the elements, um, but there's a lot of stuff to perch and shit upon. And so, uh, great. So there's, like, at any one time, there's, like, 30 pigeons on uh, the, the building, and uh, our um, living room looks out onto a fire escape, so I see a lot of them. When I first moved to the building, I didn't like pigeons very much in that sort of New York kind of way of like, oh yeah, I don't really like them. Five years later, I hate them. <laughs> I hate them and want them all to die. And to be clear, I'm a, I'm a vegetarian who believes that all um, existence is uh should be honored <laughs> so it's weird for me to say i really want an entire like eight billion lives to end but i would love it if all pigeons died right now <laughs> right this second strike them dead god if you're real if you're listening to our podcast yes Hey, he's I listening. feel it's a bold claim he's listening <laughs> endorsed by god <laughs> um so um we should have teased it to to Dave is Pigeon Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> you can make that joke. I'm Jewish. Um, that laugh was so strong it blew out one of the two yeah. sides of my headphones. I'm it, sorry. It did on mine, too. <laughs> oh, shit. Did I just kill our podcast? I think you might have. We nice. may have to take a brief technical break to sort this out. Do you want to pause? Um... So that solved nothing. <laughs> and we still, <laughs> we still can't hear yeah. out of our left. Sorry. Um, uh, so Bird Hitler, yes, I am Bird Hitler. Pigeons uh, combine um, uh, three uh, 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 things. Stupidity, um, loudness, and uh, being fucking disgusting. Um so, and they combine it in, like, this stew of uh, just being completely not charming, as creatures go. <laughs> I, I'm surprised that you didn't include randomly shit on you as a negative characteristic. That's part, of disgusting. That's, that's part of disgusting, I think. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and expand, but maybe uh, that is enough that it requires its own category. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, we can put that in there. To expand on the, on the category of disgusting, though, if you have a ledge, like at normal ledge height, like three feet in the air... Um, and a pigeon decides to sit on it, within about seven minutes, there will be a stack of shit up to the pigeon's oh. ass from those three feet. With, like, they are, they are so loud um, all the time, uh, especially if they've found a place to stay, like my fire escape. Pigeons fight constantly, and their fights seem to be centered around... Um, I don't like you stand over there. Th- that seems to be the pigeon equivalent of uh, the Confederate flag debate that we're having in this country. Like, um, and, 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 and uh, their way of fighting is to hit each other with their pigeon arms um, for like a half an hour. Um, just Wait. make that noise. <laughs> I know pigeon. their wings. Right. I know their wings, but I call them pigeon arms <laughs> because I don't want to imply that pigeons can fly because flying is majestic. <laughs> And these are pigeons. Um, I hate them. So, anywho, I hate them. Um, uh, uh, coinciding with a period of uh, extended unemployment, I decided to go to war with these pigeons about uh, four years ago now. And um, uh, I did my research, and I learned that pigeons hate the sound of predatory birds. But when you're trying to fight something that's already loud... Uh, projecting a shriek every three minutes is probably not what you want to do. They hate the smell of mothballs, but I figured those would just get washed away in the first rain. And they hate getting squirted with squirt guns. So I decided to be a crazy person (laughs) (laughs) and get a squirt gun and start shooting pigeons out my open window while sitting there in my boxers applying for jobs. (laughs) And I'm sure... Everybody in the building appreciated that very much. And in my defense, it worked. It worked. They left. 
until I got a job. <laughs> and then, because they have no fucking memory, they came right back. Um, and one day, uh, I, um, uh, uh, I was at work, and I was still researching this problem, and I discovered that pigeons also hate the look of predatory birds. So I ordered an owl. You can order um, plastic owls that look like owls. <laughs> Why are you looking at me like I'm crazier for ordering an owl than I am for shooting pigeons? Oh, no. I'm not saying crazier. <laughs> just still crazy. Just, just for the record, yeah. my dad bought an owl Thank for you. that same purpose. Thank you. Thank you, Dustin. So you're, so you're, only, you're not crazy for I'm that reason. I'm as crazy as your dad. And right. Owls all over the buildings in Astoria. Yes, thank Look you. Around. You see them. All I don't time. care. Uh, the image you. of Dave having given up wearing his boxer shorts and squirting out his window with a squirt gun, resorting to let, let's call it a dummy owl, a fake owl, fake owl, just a prop up in front of his put, window. Put it out. I did it, and it's, again, it's a scare owl. Dude, yeah, yeah. It's just, you're right. I did it, and again, it worked for a couple weeks. <laughs> And then one day I came home and I was in a terrible mood because I had a job and that makes you angry. And I, have you ever been in, in the kind of mood where you're so mad that your spouse or significant other starts laughing at you because you're like a cartoon of anger? That's how mad I was. And my poor suffering wife, Kelly, was just like snickering away um, at me as I like stomped around and bashed pans and was like, I'm so mad, 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 mad. <laughs> Mad, mad, I can't believe they emailed me that that today. Mad, mad, mad. And I was uh, furious, and for some reason I threw open the curtain, um, looked out the window, and just, like, yelled at the full volume, oh, for fuck's sake. And Kelly said, what? And I called her over and showed her the fact that there were two pigeons <laughs> cuddling the owl, like full on <laughs> up against it, looking up at it adoringly as if to say, mommy. <laughs> and at that point, I just figured I was beat. You know, I was like, there's nothing I could do. Um, and you may be saying, well, why didn't you get the building involved, Dave? And I would remind you that these are the people who said, oh, we're doing nothing about your missing phone jacks. Um, uh, the, the, the first group that ever that owned our building when we uh, moved in. Uh, it was subsequently investigated by the state for trying to kick out rent-stabilized tenants. Uh, the subsequent group of people who have uh, owned the building since then, it's changed hand twice since then, are probably the same people. They're just, they just changed the spelling and the name of the LLC, the really shady LLC. And let me tell you, you really feel the pride of the landlord when you p- fill out a check to QPIXXX. R L L C. Um, can can I give you a suggestion? Yeah, on, please. On I, this sounded crazy when they did it at my work. Yeah, but here's what you need to do. Okay, you need to go out. You need to find yourself a falconer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll, okay. Okay. Hire the falconer. <laughs> this is yeah. For two weeks. Well, le- after two weeks. All the birds know that that area is guarded by a falcon. Then you only need the falconer like once, how one day for the next. How much does a falconer cost? I don't know. I have no idea how much a falconer costs. But I bet if you went door to door in your building and said, hey, guys, let's, get a let's all chip in for a falcon, um, people well, would go like, yeah, yeah. I mean, Dave, well, you are someone drinking cola out of a goblet i, I am, think you can have a falconer in your uh, life thank you for for the peek behind the curtain i am currently drinking cola <laughs> out of a goblet i asked dustin for a coke and he brought me cola in a goblet um <laughs> i wanted you to feel special i do i feel very special uh let me uh l- l- let's push on because um the other reason i didn't involve the building is because uh about two months about uh, sorry in february a piece of the building fell off. I remember, remember I mentioned the crumbling facades? Um, a piece of the building fell to, to, to the, to in front of the entryway. And by piece, I mean about 250 pounds of concrete and masonry. Uh, at 10.30 at night, fell to the ground with this enormous crash. Unfortunately, no one was under it. This triggered an... Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, 
uh, investigation an investigation by an agent of uh, the state, um, and the building sprung into action, and about a month later, put up a shed around the uh, entire building, which is one of those for single story scaffolds. But the investigator also said, uh, well, you need to fix that. You also need to do something about your um, uh, crumbling um, uh, fire escapes because they probably wouldn't hold somebody up in a fire. They're, they're falling apart, and they're covered in pigeons. So the building sprang into action again and put up this memo in our broken uh, elevator. Dear residents... Please be advised that as part of its continuing efforts to improve the building, management, because they capitalize management, will be working to repair and restore the building's facade. And I'd like to point out they did put the accent on the C because they're, they're classy. And fire escapes in the coming weeks, beginning Monday, July 27th. Again, the building fell apart in February. <laughs> During the period the repairs are underway, scaffolding will be set up directly underneath where the work is taking place and should not interfere with any of the building's entrances or exits. I think this, this is a notable memo for what it does not say. If they're repairing the facade and uh, painting, they're going to be right outside your windows with chemicals, so maybe you want to know when so you don't breathe them. Or do you... You want to close the window if you go out for, like, a snack and then come back, there's concrete dust anywhere? No, no, we're just going to do it at some point in the future. P.S. They still have not repaired the facade. We still have the scaffold up. You know what would help you with that? Falconer? Yeah. I know. Like, hey, are you working on my window right now? I don't know. Let me ask the falcon. <laughs> um, the thing I was kind of psyched by was the fact that they were going to come and put people on the fire escapes. For one, I would feel less like I was going to die if I needed to get out in a fire. But for two, there'd be guys in Tyvek suits, like, banging around for, like, a week or so, which is what happened. And maybe the pigeons would go away. And they did. For two weeks. And then they came back. And I've had a really uh, kind of shitty summer um, uh, that uh, uh, about uh, last, it kind of got to a head about a week ago. Um, and, uh, last week, my wife, uh, had to go away for a couple days, uh, and, um, uh, midweek, Wednesday, she left, um, and to go be with her family, I joined her over the weekend, and I had a couple days at home alone, and I decided I would sit down and binge watch Deadwood, which is, uh, a, an amazing, depressing, deeply dark thing. Um, and if you've never seen it, it's great. I had only seen it in bits and pieces back when it was first released, and then I didn't have the money for HBO, and now I'm rolling in that sweet, sweet, Time Warner, you fucked me. <laughs> Give me free HBO, which they did. Um, uh, so I had free HBO. My wife was away. She wouldn't have liked Deadwood um, because it's hyper, hyper-violent and um, gruesome, and I decided I would sit down perfect storm of confluence of events to watch it. And I'm about five minutes in when I hear from Fire Escape this enormous noise, just this whooshing sound and all this flapping and all this, like, craziness out there. And I'm like, fucking jerks, all I want to do is sit here and watch Deadwood in peace for an evening. Just give me that, please. That's what I need. I throw open the curtain... Dustin, there's a falcon on my fucking fire escape. What? Yeah. There's a falcon on my fucking fire escape killing the fuck out of a pigeon like it's no thing. <laughs> with its, uh, Within its fucking talons, twisting it like, like, like it's like trying to open a fucking, uh, you know, sprite and being like, and it turns and looks at me and is like, what? I'm killing the fuck out of a pigeon, dude. Do you mind? <laughs> the beauty of my rightness is amazing. I cannot believe that, <laughs> that I suggested the falcon and the falcon saved the day. The falcon, well. The falcon saved the day. The falcon Your saved, story's over. The falcon saved the evening. <laughs> because as I've mentioned, 
And as you mentioned, you need the Falcon there for two weeks. Yes. And that, as I mentioned, pigeons have no memory. So the Falcon flew away eventually. And the pigeons all fucking came back. But every night I look up towards the sky and I'm like, Falcon, <laughs> come back. So here's the problem, though, yeah. is let's say you get your wish and... Yeah. God turns out to be a falcon god. Yeah, yeah. And Ooh, he, I listens, love falcon he listens to this podcast and is like, Dave, I grant you falcons to kill the pigeons. Sure. Now you have falcons hanging around outside your window. Falcons are being charming. Being all dude bro. I, falcons are charming. Yeah. <laughs> falcons, are, falcons are like laid back. Fal- not laid back is the wrong word. Falcons are just kind of like, yeah, they're just like, There's, yeah, I'm here. I don't make a lot of noise. Just don't fuck don't with me. Don't they? They sound like sky sharks, what you described. <laughs> I'll take sky sharks. Falcon, uh, falcons uh, have a charm to their intelligence. I'll take it. Yeah. I, th- I think we need to move on because we, we are... Yes, my story was long and I also destroyed our <laughs> sound equipment. Yes. All right. Um, Lynn invited me to a Twitter party because Lynn, Lynn, who is our previous guest, Lynn Dixon Span is all up on the Twitter. She knows what she's doing. She's got massive followers. She knows how to leverage it, and she knows how to use the word leverage in relation to that. I only use Twitter almost exclusively to yell at FedEx and UPS when they don't drop off a package, (laughs) so my feed looks like I'm an old person who just discovered the internet. So when... Do you you sign everything with your name at the end? I always sign my screen, yes. (laughs) Um, <laughs> just Morgan is the last name, word of everything. <laughs> Love Morgan. <laughs> My dad dates his emails. Just oh, at, that's just at one in, case, in, in case that you never need to go through them again. Um, so, and Lynn and I are both single and depressed and depressed about being single. So we had both been shut-ins for a while and we decided we should go to this party and maybe meet other people who are single who would like to put their genitals near our genitals, and then we could not be single anymore. Um, Which would be the most awkward thing ever. Just to Two decide. people standing, like, right near each other. I mean, other technically, genitals. I do it each and every day. I take okay. the subway. Okay. And so we go to this party, which is on, I think it was the, like... <laughs> Sorry, I just thought of a tagline from the subway. <laughs> no one's single on the subway. <laughs> the four, five, six, check the excitement. <laughs> Have you ever been to one of those subway parties where it's literally a party, like you catch the train um, somewhere up near Times Square or whatever, and then you know which car to get in on which train at a certain time? I've never done this either, but I know a couple of people did, and I always meant to. And then you ride the train all the way down to Coney Island, and there's a party in that train car the whole way. Um, anyway, so we go to this party, and it's on the, like, I think the Lower East Side or the Village. I don't know. I've been in New York for five years. I still don't know all the names of the things. Um, and it was, Lynn had been to this group party before because it's people that she knows and had interacted with um but she only knew one or two people there and we go in and it's really awkward it, apparently at the previous party everyone had just taken over one table so you could kind of like get to know each other that way but here it was like little pockets here and there like this one main group was all hanging out right by the door so lynn and i had to stand like in front of the door to have a conversation with them which is really frustrating because you know the bouncer is letting people in so then Lynn and I ended up moving over to, like, they had this wooden bear statue. So we're just, like, casually have our arms on this bear statue talking to each other, like, you know, this is exactly what we meant to do. Um, Laura, you were about to ask I me would, something. I have a question. Sure. You say Twitter party. Is it a party it doesn't, that it was sounds dirty. by Twitter? No, it's a bunch of people who all know each other through their got Twitter it, interactions. Got it, got it. And I guess the Twitter comedy scene, these are all sounds coming out of my mouth that are very <laughs> foreign to me. So, yeah. It I want to go back in time to, like, 2006. And say the words Twitter comedy scene to myself. <laughs> Just appear in a puff of smoke and say Twitter comedy scene and then disappear. <laughs> well, who is that? <laughs> what strange message from the future? What handsome bearded man? Then you could have also warned about 9-11, but whatever. No, that's no, that's 2006, the, thing. Oh, the right. year before Twitter. Okay. 9-11 will happen. We know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I always forget. I just get in the time machine. I'm so excited. 9-11 about. happened six years ago. <laughs> I'm the ghost of not long enough ago. <laughs> the ghost of memories are still fresh. So that sucked. So we eventually um, slunk out of the Twitter party. And 
it was still pretty early, so Lynn's like, let's go grab tea or something, and we can just, like, hang out. Neither of us had really eaten. So, like, well, okay, fine. So, we go to, um, I think it's called The Bean. It was one of the coffee shops in the area. And we go get tea. And conversation turns almost immediately to our singleness and how frustrating that is. And after a long conversation of lamenting previous relationships and that sort of a thing, um, recent breakups and all that good stuff, uh, Lynn decides to change the subject. And she goes, oh, hey, by the way, this is completely random, but... Um, we had this mutual friend, Kirk, who moved out to L.A. recently. Uh, Kirk was at Comic-Con, and he uh, was talking to this woman that he met there, and it uh, turns out it was, it was your ex. Um, I, I haven't decided if I want to use her real name or not. I'm not going to use her real name, because I feel like that's a shitty thing to do. You want to go with Gwendolyn? Um, yeah, I'll go with Gwendolyn. I was going to use <laughs> For a long time, it was so painful to say her name which I'll get into in a second, that I just refer to her as she who must not be named. So I was considering calling her Voldemort, but I feel like that's... Okay, that's go for me. it. No, I don't no, no, know. It's your story, fine. dude. She's, she's a perfectly lovely and attractive person, except that she uh, shat into my open heart. Um, <laughs> which I'll get into now, I guess. So, okay. Lynn says this, and apparently what happened next was I made a face, and Lynn's reaction was, oh God, you look like I just stabbed you. And she said that completely honestly, but also, like, like trying to make light of things, hoping that I was exaggerating. And I wasn't. That was just the face I made, because I was in the most pain I've been in in a very long time. Um, <clears throat> at which point, uh, my hearing started to go, and my vision started to go, because I was having a panic attack, and I was about to black out. Um, I excused myself immediately. And I went to the, the, the men's room, and I just stared at myself in the mirror for a while, trying to take stock and, like, literally count myself down. I was doing, like, the 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 over and over and over again to get my heart rate down. Um, and then eventually it came out. And normally I would try to, like, in sort of a situation like that, I'd try to laugh things off. And because Lynn's one of my closest friends. I don't want to make her feel uncomfortable or awkward. But at that point, like, I just need to get the hell out of there. So I said, I'm leaving now. And with the, <clears throat> the implication of you can join me or stay here if you'd like. Um, so she's like, yeah, that's fine. So we leave and I think she, because she was still trying to like, she, she realized immediately she shouldn't have said that. And I don't fault her. It was one of those things. Um, so she was trying to walk it back. So she's trying to like be funny and, you know, and kind of get my spirits back as we're walking to the subway and I just want to get home. But because we, neither of us were really paying attention, we ended up going six blocks in the wrong direction. Um, then we have to backtrack back and I finally get back to my apartment I take the train back by myself. I finally get back. I close, lock the door behind me. The lights are still off, and I just stand there for a while. And um, my week was ruined. I fell into the darkest depression I've fallen into for a long time. So the thing with Gwendolyn was that we dated um, seven years ago, roughly. Yeah, seven years ago. And first of all, she was the first person and arguably the only person I've ever truly fallen in love with. Um we moved in together far sooner than we should have within like three months. She was also the person that I was with when my mom committed suicide, which is not something I've talked about on this podcast. And I debated bringing up the S word for a long time, but I've also done it on other, done the story of my mom's suicide in other podcasts. So it's out there. So I'll say it. And that is a story for another time, which probably will be this podcast because it's not, you know, um, it's not relevant to recent events, but in this particular case, I was dating Gwendolyn, during that time, she was there when I got the phone call. She um, was there for the wake. Uh, she was there when I was traveling to and from Connecticut uh, to clean out my mom's house. She was there for every bit of it. So my memories of her are inexorably tied to that period of time. During that time, I also started becoming um, somewhat paranoid and uh, developing severe abandonment issues and became convinced that Gwendolyn was going to leave me. Um, those fears turned out to be true. And while part of me wants to think that, oh, I brought this on myself by being so paranoid, I don't believe that was the case. Having had conversations with Gwendolyn during and shortly after, she had also started to lose interest in the relationship. And the re one of the other reasons why I had such a strong reaction to Lynn bringing that up was that Gwendolyn was really, really shitty to me near the end. She was very callous and closed off and, um, threw little comments in my direction, um, the moment when I knew that it was it was over was when she told me that she no longer loved me and couldn't remember why she loved me. We still hung on for another couple of months, 
And uh, then we eventually, she eventually left. Um, it was also terrifying because I could only afford that apartment because we were both paying rent. And that put me in the position of, well, now what? Um, we decided that I would keep the apartment, though I didn't really want it, just because I had a job at the time and she didn't. So I could sort of afford the rest of the lease and just kind of run the lease out. Um, but I was living in the apartment with little remnants of this dead relationship everywhere. I would like, I remember lying on the couch and trying to find a corner of the apartment that didn't have something of hers in it because she hadn't moved her stuff out yet. And I remember looking at the radiator and going, okay, the radiator. Oh, there's a bobby pin of hers. Like literally there's just detritus everywhere of hers. Um, I'm racing through the story. This is a tough one because it's, there's so much emotion behind it that I just start talking and I can't stop because it's all just kind of pushing itself out of me. Um, that week after, you know, the weekend of, um, when Lynn and I had that talk, it was completely ruined and I spent the whole time just feeling hollow and I hate the term gutted. I feel like that is one of the most overused and pointless terms, but it's never felt more appropriate. I really felt like I'd just been scooped out. Um, the thing with Gwendolyn is that it's not just that her name come up in conversation. It's that she's... She's achieved a degree of success that I haven't, which in and of itself is frustrating, obviously, but it's also because I'm a competitive person. Um, but part of it is also that if this were any other relationship, I could just kind of move on. But because she has reached a degree of success where people, she's in the cartoonist community, I have, I'll meet cartoonists for the first time and they'll try to impress me by name dropping people. And she's one of those names. That I can kind of gird myself for. I'm, I expect it at this point. Like, I know it's going to happen. It sucks. It's fine. But having it come from Lynn, who is my safe space, she's one of my closest friends. She knows my history. She knows about my relationship with Gwendolyn. That took me completely... My guard could not have been more down. And having it be, come from uh, an in-between rando person that we know, who is not a cartoonist... And have this be this random coincidence. And I know she didn't mean any harm by it. It was just a thing that, like, she just wasn't thinking, like, oh, this will be a, a funny coincidence. I think that's why it hit me so incredibly hard. Um, but, yeah, I, I, had, I went to therapy uh, two days later, and it was the most unproductive therapy session I've ever had. Because I was just sitting there, not unwilling to participate, but unable to participate. I told her what happened. I told her my story. She told me the same things Lynn and many others have told me, which is, you have to just, you know, focus on, you know, the now, live in the moment, be in the now, uh, focus on your successes, not compare yourself to others. And these are all great pieces of advice. But when you have, when you feel so numb and sad and angry and depressed all at the same time, I'm just sitting there wanting to shake my therapist by the shoulders and say, that's great. But how, how do I do that? It's great to tell me that this is the roadmap to my success, but I can't even get the car started. I don't know what to do at this point. Um, and I, so I, I, you know, I lost that week, that weekend in terms of getting anything of my own accomplished and, you know, drawing comics has been one way to kind of feel better about myself. And that was hard to do. Um, I'm still reeling from it. It's been two weeks. Uh, this happened weekend before last and I'm still like, it still comes back and hits me. When I started working on this story, I, um, I had a panic attack on the train on the way up here. Like, I had to, you know, close my eyes and, like, talk myself down again. Um, the funny part to me was that I was so lost in thinking back to my time at the cartoonist place, thinking back to my mom's death, the, the, how shitty Gwendolyn was to me, uh, the relationship itself, even thinking back to my conversation with Lynn and how maybe I should have dealt with things differently there, that I completely forgot until I started working on this story that when we walked six blocks in the wrong direction, um, Lynn and I spent a good chunk of that time behind a very tall man in a very tight latex dress that kept, it was very, very short, like not covering his ass short. And he, I think he regretted the decision because he kept trying to pull it back down. And all we could think is, well, if it's doing that in the back, what's it doing in the front? So like, is he... Is he kind of has he wrapped it around his genitals to kind of hold it in place, is, or is it completely up in the front? Is this a thing he wants? He might be tucking. He might be tucking. He, that's a good point. But it'd um, still be it'd still be poking out the back, wouldn't it? I don't know. It was so many questions. I mean, he was. I will say he was rocking it. He was completely rocking the dress, but he seemed like 
he had this great outfit, this really sexy outfit, and he couldn't wait to show it out in the town. And then he got out and he went, oh, I didn't think about the mechanics of this. Oh, shit. Well, I've got to, I've got to work it. I've got to make this work somehow. And that was just a delightful experience that I got to have because I'm in New York now and I left all of that behind me, the cartoon school, Gwendolyn, and I have moved on and I do, and I am trying to live in the moment. And that was one of those beautiful moments that you don't get very often. So yeah, so that was my breakdown. Good times. <laughs> Sweet. Um, yeah, I mean like the way you put it right there, uh, like you have moved on and stuff like, is both true, but also yeah. dangerous, right? Because, like... It's also not really true. Well, like, I've moved on like, in some ways, but still. You've moved, quite literally, on. Right. And, like, you've tried to get, you know, as far past it as you can. Um, but at the same time, nothing ever ends, you yeah. know? Yeah, there's, there's nothing ever ends. That Those memories are there, the experiences. That, like, that happened. It's a thing that, that happened... And it was funny, until that happened, I never, like, I appreciated the movie Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, but I never appreciated where it was coming from, and I've never more in my life wished that that machine truly existed. And not in, like, a flippant way, but, like, I absolutely wish there's a place I could go and have the memories of my time with Gwendolyn removed. But that, you know, hopefully for the better, that's changed me as a person, and that's, you know, that's part of my DNA now. But... It still hits me, man. I disagree with Lynn and your therapist. Okay. I don't think that you should move on. I think you should move through. No, and that's you're right, and that's a better way. One of the pieces of advice they both gave me is I need to write, whether or not I decide to send it, I need to write a letter to Gwendolyn and just spell out exactly how I feel. The problem with that, though, is the idea of sitting down and writing that letter is so terrifying that I can't even entertain the idea. Like, I don't think I could do that without Lynn or my therapist being in the room there, like, literally holding my hand. But you're right. Like, it's not just about moving on. It is about moving through. And it has been something where I've, on some level, to move on, I've had to kind of avoid. And I've avoided a lot of the people from that community. Because they were, I never really fit in there. And that's part of the problem was that there wasn't a community that was supportive. I was shocked at the lack of support when my mom committed suicide from that community. Like, nobody gave a shit. With a, a couple of notable examples. Uh, sorry, you, sorry. Well, I was just... First things, I, I was just having a conversation about that kind of thing today with a mutual friend of ours saying mm-hmm. that, you know, I had a, a bad breakup a couple of years ago that still sort of throws me back to an emotional childhood stone age Yeah. when I see this person or when I see somebody interacting with him on Facebook. I just keep unfollowing people who are mentioning him or do it, you know, so. Mm-hmm. I know I did the same thing. I started unfollowing so many people whenever right. she came up and I literally, I, I mean, I've, at this point I've blocked her so that I can't unfriend her, but if I, I mean, I can, but if I unblock her, then I know that her name will not show up. Right. But the other thing I was thinking, I was going to say was that, you know, I think, the only thing you can do right now, if you're not able to write that note, yeah. and I think it would be, if you could get Lynn or your therapist to sit with you, it would be a great idea to write that. Yeah. But in the meantime, I think all you can do is feel shitty when you feel shitty and take care of yourself as much as you can, yeah. knowing that you won't feel shitty forever. It yeah. Be another two and then weeks, it gets better every, a little bit and a little will, bit. Yeah, yeah, it will get better. And, it you know, it may happen again in two years. And, you know, hopefully... You know, knowing that you can get through it this time, it, maybe it'll lessen a little bit the, the next time. Yeah. But there's a, there's just no easy cure for it. No, and it's it's so hard because it's not just the breakup. It's even if the breakup had been more amicable than it was, and there were positive parts to it, and there were aspects of the breakup that weren't terrible. And we have had good conversations since then occasionally. But part of it is also it. She is such a stark reminder of my mom's death. Right. So it's like there's no letter to write to that. That's just I, a thing I'm still working through of not being drawn back to the worst year of my life where everything went bad. So, yeah. It hurts my heart for you. So, thank you. <laughs> um, I, hey, Dustin. I should have gone before you. <laughs> That's why I put mine on the I deeply regret all the decisions <laughs> I have made today. Dustin, like Dave, bring them back. Okay. Um, I, I don't know if I've given this recommendation on the podcast before, but... Um, Falcons? Yes. <laughs> You've mentioned, yes. Um, 
One thing that I highly recommend everyone do is when you're putting together the music that you're going to listen to on your iPhone, your iPad, or whatever, is put a bunch of random songs on there that you have no business listening to that you're going to skip 95% of the time. For example, the theme to Fraggle Rock I put on there because there are going to be certain times where you are um, frustrated and angry at the world and then the theme to Fraggle Rock comes on and you're like, okay, this is all silly. (laughs) Like, I shouldn't be mad. Everybody here is looking all serious and I'm listening to Fraggle Rock. Um, So, um, because sometimes, like, random shuffle will know just what you kind of need at the time. Um, So I'm telling you that information for later. Um, So, uh, Ed Sheeran is a uh, performer that is relatively famous. And I I recently watched uh, his special live from Wembley at... uh, yeah, on TV, and I don't know if you guys have ever seen Wembley Stadium, but it is fucking huge, um, and he, who is a relatively unknown, not unknown, but I didn't know he was as famous as he is. Um, he's famous overseas, right? He's, yeah, and here too, but yeah, apparently yeah. overseas, he's yeah, big. Yeah. He sold out three consecutive nights in Wembley Stadium. Damn, Gina. Yeah, uh, the only performer ever to do it um, as a solo artist, so it's just him and a fucking guitar in front of um, 240,000 people over three nights. Jeez. Um, Which sort of, like, shook me, you know, when I was like, God damn. And you look out on the crowd, and it's just this endless sea of people, and it was so impressive. Um, And it got me thinking back to, like, the closest that I had ever come. Uh, which was, uh, in college, I was part of a sketch show. And every year we would do, uh, it was a, it was a TV show, a TV sketch show. We, uh, we were part of the college TV station. And every year we would do one live, we would do one live, sh- like, um, in a, a re- in a, a ballroom show. Uh, and we did a song, um, that, uh, it was called, um, the law of diminishing returns. Because uh, we had to think of the most boring... The, the conceit was we had to think of the most boring thing that we could possibly think of. Uh, and I was in an economics class at the time. And I said, well, the most boring thing is the law of diminishing returns. So we wrote a rap song about it. Um, and the audience liked it way more than we thought that they would. <laughs> um, and uh, the guy who was singing the song... like I was playing the DJ um, in the whole thing, although I was not really DJing. Um, and he said, when I say supply, you say demand. And he said supply. And then 500 people screamed back demand in a way that we did not think that they would. And we all paused. And we're like, holy shit. <laughs> they did that. <laughs> That's fucking crazy. You know? Um, and it was like the first time that I had experienced that. The first time I had experienced like that weird universal unity, you know, where everybody in the fucking room is on the same page. Uh, the next time I experienced it was actually at a um, Tori Amos concert. The first time I'd ever seen her, I knew nothing about her. Um, and say what you will, I listened to almost exclusively music that lesbians listen to. I love Tori Amos. She's great. Um, and um, the room was so fucking quiet listening but emotional and you could just feel like everybody was like heartbroken but loving it you know what i mean like because that's the type of singer that she is that like she's just so fucking raw and true and like it definitely turns people off most of the people that it attracts it attracts them very hard um and it's sort of kind of what i aspire to um and in the in the tease, we talked about Madison Square Garden and uh, for my story. Uh, and this particular past week, um, I got to do what, um, in some ways, is probably one of the most um, crazy things I will ever do in my life, in that I produced a show at Madison Square Garden. Um, Saturday and, and Sunday night of this past week, um, my work put on a show for 12,000 people 
which was sold out. It holds more with the way we had to design the show. Uh, it was 12,000 people. And, um, you know, for a kid who grew up in New York, Madison Square Garden is where it's at. It's the biggest kind of thing that you can do. Uh, and I invited my family. I invited a bunch of friends. Um, a lot of my family ultimately couldn't come. My dad and my, uh, my, dad and my stepmother came. Um, and Joy invited, like, a bunch of... Uh, her friend Topping came. And Joy invited a bunch of her friends kind of last minute, who are also my friends, but, like, I know more through Joy. Um, and they they sort of experienced that unity thing, you know, um, because this particular, it, it's a, it was a video game competition. I won't go into too many details about it because I'm trying to avoid uh, talking about like my actual company, but it was a video game competition. Not that you can't put the pieces together because there's only one video game competition <laughs> mm. that happened this past week in Madison Square <laughs> But, um, it, um, you know, and I got to go in the room while people were watching and I never really experienced, um, something like that for something that I had done, you know, that I had been part of. Um, and it was, if you've never been to it, um, it's not what you'd expect. If you never like a live esports event like that, um, because it's not like going to another sport. It's not like going to a baseball game because a baseball game is for everybody you know it's there are corporate folks there and there are people who go there because their dad wants them to go and there are people who go there because their boyfriend wants them to go or their girlfriend wants them to go you know and they're like for whatever reason um and it's universally accepted um whereas uh an esports event is like you go there because you're a nerd (laughs) you know but, like, in a good way. I use that in a very good way. You go there because you are super excited about that thing. And you know that for one night, everyone else that you're going to see is super excited about that thing, too. And you have that unity that, like, you can't get anywhere else. So uh, people went to go see the show and um, really loved it. My My dad was beaming. He, you know... Um, he had no idea. I told him about stuff because we'd done a show last year in Korea um, for like 45,000 people or something like that. And um, he was like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. But it wasn't until like he had actually sat there and experienced the show in person that it affected him in that way. Uh, and just sending me text message after text message because they left early before it ended because it's a really long event. Um, just saying, you know, like it's amazing. And he talked to all his friends about it and he posted like, you know, like 50 pictures on Facebook uh, about the whole thing. Uh, so, like, I was feeling good about it, you know. Um, but for some reason, I couldn't shake the fact that I wasn't feeling as good about it as I should have. Uh, and, you know, because it's fucking Madison Square Garden. I'm not going to have a show bigger than that. You know, even the thing in Korea, it was like, okay, it was awesome. But I don't, I don't know Korea. Like, I don't, I didn't know that stadium. You know, it didn't have the historical impact. And uh, so the next morning, I was listening to uh, Ani DeFranco, who is another uh, <laughs> musician that mostly lesbians listen to. Well, it's there up in here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and she has a song um, called I'm No Heroine. Um, and it basically, like, sort of, talks about everybody thinks that she's tough because she sings a lot of tough songs. But the truth of the matter is she's not. She just sings tough because she feels like it'll help people, you know? Um, But she's really, like, crushed by the same things that everybody else is crushed by. Um, And I started to, like, tear up on the train. And I heard the song hundreds of times and I was like what why am I why am I fucking crying about this song like what what the fuck you know and I and I realized that it was the um 
the version I was listening to was from Living in Clip, which is the live show. And she has a line that, um, I just sing what I should have said, and I hope it helped. Like, I, I hope a woman hears it and it helps her through her day. And the whole place kind of erupts on that line. You don't hear them, but, um, and you realize that, like, it does. You know, it does help them through their day. Uh, to sort of see somebody else exposed in the way that she was exposed. And I realized, like, oh, that's that's why it didn't ring true to me after that show. Because I was super proud of what I did. I was super proud of giving something that created that unity and, and all that. And I think it was wonderful. But it wasn't, like, it wasn't art in that same way that she was doing it, you know? It was something that brought a lot of people together, but it wasn't me. Yeah, it was arguably art, but it wasn't your art. Right. Uh, I'm super proud of it, and I think it was great. But at the same time, like, I realized that there, that there are other parts of things that make art, you know? And, and that while there is definitely a place for that, and I will keep doing it, and I will love it, and I will lo- always love being part of it, um, that... I was disappointed that the the thing that my dad was proud of wasn't me. It was a thing that I do. And I wanted him to ultimately be proud of me when I sort of tear my veins open, you know, and I do that thing. Uh, and And then I realized, like, well, I'm not doing any of that. So how could he? You know, I'm doing this other thing. Uh, You're doing this podcast. I'm doing this podcast, yeah. Um, and hopefully that will have some effect. I don't know. Um, so that was just a, I don't know that there's a story there specifically, but it, that was my weird up and downness of this week that I, I went from sort of doing this thing that, um, was probably one of the coolest things I'll ever do in my entire life. And then kind of crying about it (laughs) because it wasn't the exact thing that I felt like I needed to do. And the good news is that I can do both. Yeah, uh, I mean, I just need to refocus a little bit. You know, on the one does one is forced to wonder on the chance, you know, that it is someday Dustin Diodato plays Madison Square Garden, you know, and it's just yeah. you with your guitar. Um, uh, uh, I do wonder. I know what my answer for myself would be. Um, I wonder if how you would walk away from that afterwards. If you felt if you would feel some sort of emptiness i would because i'm empty <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean the the first time i did my one man show was probably the most fulfilled i think i'd ever been with anything that i've done and it's by far not the biggest scale thing that i've done yeah. um you know it was for 75 people or whatever the fuck it was um but it was one of the first time that i was that i could do a show that I was scared of and people related to it. Mm. You know, um, it was definitely like, I don't know if people are going to join me on this and I don't know if I'm being preachy or if I'm being melodramatic or I'm being whatever, but like, I don't know. I feel like I have to say all this shit and really I hope people hear it in the way that I mean it. And they did for one glorious night. They, (laughs) they kind of did. Um, and I, and I feel like when Ani DeFranco's up there or when Ed Sheeran is up there, like, that's what they get to do, you know? They get to open up their veins and have 240,000 people scream back, like, yeah, I agree with you. Thank you for saying that. Uh, and I think that's what we should all do all the time. Anyway, that's my story, so... Uh, I'm sorry we all took so long. <laughs> I got no place to be. Okay. <laughs> we're, all, we're all opening our veins here. Yes. So. Well, my story isn't... Well, we'll see. So, uh... Um, I'm, I'm Pigeon Hitler. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, um, I'm divorced. My ex-husband and I are still friends. And that's fine. Um, but it's a very good thing that we're divorced. I, it wasn't working. And, uh, 
So anyway, the story is uh, about a week and a half ago, uh, I'm training for the marathon. Oh, me and, too. Um, ah, yeah. So two weeks ago, I had a 14 mile. My long one was 14. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten up to 11. Uh, <laughs> well, I. So uh, it's a hot day, and my ex-husband didn't get in this year, but he runs with me because he'll find another race to run come November. And it's a really hot day, and I don't do well in the heat. And he does do well in the heat. Um, so we're running, and because we didn't feel like going into Central Park to run, we created this route where we would have to run uh, around Astoria Park six times, this giant loop. So we're running. I'm slogging, he's jogging, and it's really hot, and I take a gel shot every 45 minutes. He's only got water, and so... What's a gel shot? I'm sorry. It's a, it's basically a foil packet full of, it's like, it tastes like frosting, cake frosting, and it's a kind of sugar that your body can use immediately. Oh. Yeah, run, runner's food is all like, uh, it's like you're eating in a 1970s... Uh, science fiction movie. Oh, exactly. nice. Electrolytes. It's what the body craves. Right, exactly. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, I, I, I got the quote. Thanks. The <laughs> I, I, I got it, too. I just don't want to reward you for that. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Laurie, please Sorry. Continue. continue. So we're running and running, and, and um, we're getting... Oh, it was a hot day, so we decided to go when the sun went down. And so uh, the last loop, he said, oh, I feel a little lightheaded. And I, you know, take a salt packet. He said, no, I'm fine. So uh, we we finish, and it's 10.30, and there's a restaurant near us that we've been wanting to try called Burnside Biscuits. And uh, uh, we're gross and really sweaty, and we walk by, and I said, well, we can do takeout. He said, no, no, let's just, let's, go, you go home, change, don't take a shower, and we'll just come back, and hopefully we won't be smelly enough that people will run away from us. So we both go to our perspective, respective apartments and we meet again at the restaurant. We go in and, um, you know, we haven't eaten anything since two o'clock besides him, nothing, me, uh, some gel shots. So we're pretty hungry. We sit down and we order a beer and uh, some water and Tom drinks his, takes a sip of water and then drinks the beer quite quickly. And then he sits back and he says, I'm having chest pains. And um, he's 54, I'm 52. So we're at that age where someone says chest pains. It's it's like, oh, okay. He said, no, I just feel like there's something stuck in my chest. And I feel like I have to birch, belch. And I said, well, just get up and walk around and then, you know, see if that helps. And he comes back and he sits down and he said, that didn't help. And I watch him turn gray. And I stood up, and I, stu- I stood next to him and put my arm on his shoulder, and he started, like, having a seizure. It looked like he was having a seizure, and he just slumped forward. And I was utterly terrified. I'm not good in emergency situations. Um, I tend to freeze up. But I had the presence of mind to turn around to the bartender, and I said, Hey, hey, call 911. Call 911 right now. And he's calling 911. And Tom just sort of vomits in his lap. And um, and he's out for, I don't know, 10 seconds. And he opens his eyes, and I said, you're okay? And he said, yeah, I'm okay. And he's like, he just, he's just fuzzy, and he's looking down, and he's, he's like, oh, I, I got sick. And I said, well, I said, do you want an ambulance? And he's totally confused. And the bartender yelled, it's on its way. And... Um, I'm sort of just sort of in traumatic shock now and uh, I'm sort of wiping him up and the paramedics come in and Tom is suddenly just sort of, no, I I feel okay. Um, But but we go and sit in the ambulance and they're checking him out and they can't find his pulse. Um, He's awake, but his resting heart rate is like 50. So, you know, he's got a really, you know, he's a fit guy. He's got a gut, but, you know, he's always seemed reasonably healthy. And and the paramedics are saying, we need to take you to the hospital because it sounds like you had a seizure, which could indicate a cardiac event. So uh, we get into the ambulance and drive the block and a half to Astoria General Hospital. 
and you know they take us in and um, I'm starting to feel a little better because he's so he's lucid again you know and but now we're just both afraid and we go into the hospital and Astoria General Emergency Room is not you know, it's not uh, Chicago Hope or what's an even older reference? Well, St. Elizabeth. <laughs> Chicago Hope was not on okay. for very long. <laughs> okay, you know, it wasn't. St. Elsewhere? St. Elsewhere. You know, it was sort of, you know. Or was that about cops? I can't remember. No, that was St. Elsewhere. It was the hospital show. Okay, good. How about, how about Kingdom Hospital? I never heard of it. the Stephen King. Okay, oh, never mind. Okay. So, you know, we go in and it, it's sort of, you know, drunk people and homeless people. And they wheel us in and they put him in a bed. And, and, and at that point, nobody's talking to us. And an orderly comes over and dumps a hospital gown on his lap and just starts slapping EKG stickers all over him and checks his, you know, uh, heart rhythm. And I said, well, hello, what, anything? She said, the doctor will talk to you and leaves us alone. And now Tom is panicking that he's in for, you know, they give him a, a gown because he's got to stay in the hospital. So we're sitting there very tense. And I just realized, you know, I had this moment that I... I would be utterly devastated if he died. I, you know, in in a way that I wasn't expecting to feel. That I just thought I'm about to lose him, and I love him so much. I don't want to be married to him, but I just was overcome with this sort of the feeling of, I mean, I couldn't stop holding onto his arm, and just watching him being afraid was just hard for me as well. And uh, so they came over and they gave him an IV bag. And he just came, was coming back to being his old self. And um, we waited and waited and waited. They did some blood work. We waited some more. Finally, the, you know, one of the nurses came over and told us, you know, here's what we think happened. Um, it doesn't look like you had a heart attack. Uh, you know, but because, you know, the EKG is a snapshot of your heart at a moment of time, it can't really tell us what happened an hour ago and it can't tell us what will happen an hour from now. So, you know, you need to go get to the doctor. And, um, so, you know, we went home and, uh, you know, the next, this was a Sunday and the, and the next day he was in seeing a cardiologist and anyway, everything is fine. Basically what they thought happened was, you know, he put, he put a little bit of food and drink in his stomach and all of the blood rushed to his stomach and it made him faint, basically. Mm. But in that moment of uh, the, the, the funniest thing, looking back on it was, you know, the ambulance is coming. He's like passed out. And the, one of the waiters came over and said, do you want the check? <laughs> I said, yes, wow. get the check. We hadn't touched our food. Get the check. Just wrap everything up. <laughs> and, and, you know, paramedics are coming. He's like, uh, and the guy's asking us, do you want the pickles? Do you want the pickles? And I said, yes, wrap up the pickles. We'll take the pickles. So it was this sort of moment of this, like, eight hours of just that, you know, that, you know, I've lost people close to me. I've lost my father and my mother and um, other other people. But it was just that other reminder that, you know, this is how it happens. You're hanging out with somebody one day, and then just suddenly they can disappear before your eyes. And it's, you know, it, it, I mean, it's just how it happens, you know? And it's, uh, it's just, it's a reminder. And, and I knew that I had sort of recovered from that moment when, you know, a week later I was just annoyed with him again and pissed off at him. And so things were back to normal. So they're back to normal now. But, you know, it's just a in the back of my mind so yeah. that's my story so eat the damn gel yeah. <laughs> seriously right yeah well yeah now he's extra took a salt packet he's take drinking Gatorade <laughs> instead of water it's just you know some of the most terrifying uh, like mental and physical things that have ever happened to me have happened during a, during a run yeah like, like your, bo- your body can very easily mimic dying, yeah, um, super quickly. That's why I don't do it. Yeah, that's why. We, yeah, we're in great shape. We've yep. never experienced those horrible feelings because of our lethargic lifestyles. Yep. But the thing I will say is, like, once you survive that, know that that is not going to kill you. Um, it's a lot easier to run. 
Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, like, definitely. Oh, yeah, my, my ankle hurts. But I survived right, yeah, almost right. dying. So. Well, my issue is, like, I'm so fucking slow. And so it's it's frustrating because I'm so slow, and especially on a long run. Yeah. And, uh... uh you have good stamina, it sounds like. Oh, I have so, really, I have really good stamina. Some, yeah. yeah, I can keep going for hours and hours. But and hours. like, yeah, but that's the thing. Once you get up to like the seventeen mile train right. runs, you're basically sacrificing a day. Oh, you know? right. I at my at ten mile, I'm done for the day. All right. Uh, running talk. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm very relieved that um, he's doing okay and that it was nothing serious. Um, that is really scary. It is, that is scary, yeah. That, just that the is way one it, of the more frightening things I've heard of I mean, happening in a restaurant. Yeah. Like, well, just, you know, to watch him have this sort of seizure and slump over was... Yeah. Uh, and apparently he would have just sort of, if we were walking, he'd have just fainted. And we would have known he fainted. I think it was like the shaking. Yeah. Like, no, it's... Any time you see behavior that doesn't match what you understand or expect... Yeah. I mean, I have right. a friend who is prone to seizures. And the first time I saw him having a seizure, like, I didn't know... I mean, I knew he had seizures, but still, right. like, in the moment, I'm like, is he dying? Yeah. When he couldn't recall the president of the United States when he's starting to come out of it and kept asking the same three questions over and over. Like, I don't know what to do with this. Right. Has his brain stopped working? Am I right. going to lose him? Ugh. It's terrifying. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that uh, I think that about does it for this week's podcast. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, yeah. Please, I, I always forget to say this, but you know, it, it, please rate us uh, and review us on iTunes. That helps people find us. Um, yeah. Does anyone have anything they want to plug coming up? No. No. Great. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys in two weeks. Man, thank you again for joining. Thank you. Us. Yeah. Thank yeah, you once again to our, our special guest, Lori Bear. It was yes. great. Where can they check you? Where can they check you out more? Well, I host a storytelling show here in Astoria at QED Astoria called Talk Therapy Stories and Open Mic every second Thursday of the month. Uh, stories about mental health. Cool. Yeah. All right, check it out. Awesome. Bye. 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 Bye.